Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I've been a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. So, welcome LinkedIn listeners, Facebook listeners, viewers, to this live broadcast of the Nursing Home Podcast. We know in the nursing home space, uh, the we have many uh, significant partners, um, and one of them is our hospice companies that we work with, or that we should be working with. So, today we have on the podcast and on the stream... So we have John Freitag. Did I say your name right? Yep. Okay. Right. Awesome. Director of Business Development at All American Hospice. Can he, and he also has a passion for connecting healthcare professionals, just like me. That's interesting. So, David, th- uh, David, I'm sorry. John, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the Nursing Home Podcast and coming here and agreeing last minute to do this uh, live, which uh, we're able to bring this, this content and this value to our listeners um, in this type of way. And before we even get too far into this, I always like our listeners and our viewers to know who they are listening to. Um, I'm assuming they know who I am already. I've spoken about myself too many times. Uh, but if you don't mind giving our listeners and our viewers a, a brief professional overview of how you came to your current role, your current professional role right now. Go ahead, John. Sure. First off, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for having me on. Um, so I've been in healthcare, long-term care for a, a long time, actually back in high school, started in dietary department and eventually went into social work. I was in social work for a number of years, mm-hmm. moved into the admissions department and then business development. And that's what brought me to hospice. So I worked as a hospice liaison and now I'm the director of business development. So I work with our liaisons on, um, you know, just growing, uh, growing facilities and developing accounts. Okay, so you you started, you know, in the nursing home space, and yes. then you then you went over to the to the other side, so to speak. You went over right. uh, to the hospice companies. So I'm actually curious about that. What what was it about the the hospice world that was exciting for you that you made you you know decide to make that switch? So um, the switch from nursing home to hospice is actually. Uh, it's pretty big because when you're in the admissions department in a nursing facility, you you know um, just from you know working in the nursing home yourself how fast paced that is, how many admissions you're bringing on, um, mm-hmm. meeting with the hospitals um, and uh, whatnot. In hospice, it's a lot slower because you're still getting referrals, um, but not as many as you would be getting you know at a at a nursing facility. Sometimes mm-hmm. you could be getting at a nursing home you know five six a day you know plus. So it's a lot slower paced, but it is uh, I believe. It's harder. It's um. It's more challenging. You develop a lot more relationships. Um, you go to a lot more accounts, and you try to uh, to bring value to them, because there are so many different hospice companies. You want to set yourself apart, and you want to you know develop strong relationships. Okay, okay. So I mean, I'm I'm still sticking to the personal part for a moment. So 
the 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 nursing home world is definitely fast paced, specifically in the admissions office, and you also have all the pressure from whatever type of company you're working in. But this is where the money comes in. So yeah. there's a lot of corporate attention to the admissions office, and this is where the you know this is where the rubber hits the road. Every admission is money that makes the business run. Um, and obviously that's super important. And you know, what's the census today? And then at 12 o'clock now, what's the census? I'm like, well, I didn't do anything. <laughs> um, yeah. and in the hospice world, it's expected to be at a little bit of a slower pace. And right. apparently that is something that you appreciated. That's something that I don't know if I appreciated it right off the bat, but it's something I definitely, you know, noticed. Um, I like constantly moving. I like constantly, um, being busy, you know, engaging mm-hmm things um and you still get that with hospice because you're going facility to facility to facility um you might even have less downtime than you would when you're working in a uh, a facility when you're working in a nursing facility because i would spend a lot of time in the hospital you know walking around talking to caseworkers um but maybe more in one location whereas with hospice i'm going to you know multiple nursing homes assisted livings hospitals doctor's offices you know per day got it so that got part it. is that <laughs> As on the road, it's a lot more, lot more uh, driving, and um, a lot more meeting. time to listen to podcasts. Exactly, especially and that's how uh, that's how I get to take advantage of uh, of your podcast and and stay up to date on everything that's going on in the nursing facility. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. That's the exact purpose of the podcast, and it really makes me happy to see when people are actually using it for that way. Let's um, let's debunk some myths and let's put them straight on the table regarding what hospice is. And more specifically, what the relationship between hospice companies and nursing homes. So the average guy on the street, which is me, thinks that when you sign up to hospice, you're signing your death certificate, and that means you're going to die. And now we all know we're going to die anyway. For those who didn't know, I'm informing you now, you will die (laughs) eventually. However, um, we think that signing on to hospice, especially after a prolonged illness, is an indication that death is imminent and you're kind of giving up and you know we're just uh, we could have done all sorts of things medically perhaps for this particular patient family and now we're just gonna stop doing stuff and kind of wait for the person to die and hopefully hospice will make it not too painful uh is that correct is that what hospice is all about that's not what hospice is all about and that myth is still alive um, I think it really depends on where the referral is coming from. Some facilities are better at other than others at explaining what hospice is. Some doctors are more, you know, um, are more informed on it and able to explain the, the benefit a little bit better. But now hospice, um, hospice is a benefit um, for Medicare, for example. Hospice has a two 90-day benefit periods and then unlimited 60-day benefit periods. So someone can be on hospice for for a significant amount of time. As long as they have a need for hospice, they meet hospice criteria, they continue to have decline. They can be on hospice. It's not, most people aren't on it for, you know, just a couple of days and then pass away. Hospice can be, if it's utilized correctly. A, Those are the uh, key benefit. words though, if it's utilized correctly, but keep on going. So if it's utilized correctly and um, the person's referred earlier in the process of the, you know, in the disease process, um, they can get a lot of extra support. So they could have nurses, aides, uh, nurses coming out to the facility, all the equipment and everything that, that comes along with hospice. So it's underutilized, unfortunately. Lots of times people are put on it too late, um, so they don't get the full benefit of it. Um, but it is great, you know, being that it can help people with, um, with pain management, with symptom management, 
and keep them comfortable at the end of their life. Okay, so let's first deal with this from a community standpoint, and then we'll deal with it from a nursing home standpoint. So from a community standpoint, someone has somebody living at home and, and they were able to manage or they chose to manage to stay home um, through whatever illness they're going through. And then the hospice conversation comes up and they have the usual reluctance. And chances are that someone like you won't know of this situation unless they have a community case manager or something like that that's helping them through the process. But otherwise, there's a very good chance that they may not even know um, you, you know, the hospital company may not be, be be available or aware in order to educate them on how it may actually be beneficial. So what would be the optimal time and what would be the optimal time for someone to refer to hospice from the community and what what's the payoff? What can they not do once they're enrolled in hospice in a community setting? Okay. So when someone has a terminal diagnosis and it's no longer feasible to be treating it, you know, that's medications aren't working, treatments aren't working, they're going to continue declining. Hospice might be appropriate at that time. Um, So when someone's in the community, hospice would be coming out. We would have nurses' aides coming out, nurses coming out, helping them manage their medicines. Um, Hospice provides all the equipment uh, that's that's needed. So hospital beds. Um, specialty mattresses, all the equipment would be coming to the house, and that's all paid for by hospice. Um, hospice pays for any medications related to their hospice diagnosis, as well as supplies, which would be incontinent supplies, things like chucks, pull-ups, you know, the diapers, all that type, those types of things that really add up, especially when someone's living at home and trying to stay at home, you know, mm-hmm. for the end of their life. Okay, so let's just leave. I want to really zero in here a little bit. So let's leave the benefit side uh, so yes yeah, so we know that there's the care and we know that there's um all the extra benefits that you just mentioned and you know the expenses that are avoided through working properly with a hospice company but someone's getting close to the end of life they go to that critical doctor's visit or whatever it is and the doctor says i'm sorry we've been working together for two years trying to fight this illness there's absolutely nothing left to do and they already went to the second and third opinion and there's really nothing left to do, and they accept it, and they're aware of it, and now it's time for planning. Now, at that point, if they're going to call in hospice, can they continue treating it if they so choose? No. So if when, when someone has a disease that's not treatable anymore, and they're on hospice, they're no longer actively treating that disease. So hospice is a palliative measure rather than curative. So if someone had cancer, for example, and they were getting radiation, it's not working, their cancer continues to spread, they would no longer be actively treating that cancer. They would have hospice come in and help manage all the symptoms. Okay. So this is where the myth comes from. Because if I cannot treat clinically um, the symptoms, then people think that that means I'm signing a death sentence, which in truth, a person is to some extent. Because basically what you're saying is, we're going to allow this illness or whatever clinical challenge the body is going through at that point we're going to allow it to take its toll and Mm -hmm. and eventually take the life of the person who's enrolling into hospice we're going to just allow that to happen and now our focus completely shifts from trying to solve the problem trying to get rid of the illness and i was like okay you're dying from this unfortunately but now that if if we can accept that and work with it let's make this the most comfortable way possible let's ensure that you have the equipment that you need. Let's ensure that you have the care that you need. Let's ensure that you have 
all the resources available that a good hospice company provides uh, so that that can happen um, in, a, in, a, the, in the best possible way, which is a hard thing to say because it's an extremely difficult time. Um, at end of life, so there is truth to this myth. Unfortunately, you know we like to. Well, and I like how you said you know focusing on the disease because when hospice comes in, we move the focus from the disease to the person. You know, so we're no longer focusing on say the cancer. We're focusing on keeping that individual comfortable, keeping mm-hmm. them happy, and per- and besides the individual, we're also working with the family, so we're adding all that extra support for that family as well. Okay, okay, so to be fine. Okay, so this is where it comes. So the bottom line is once someone signs on to hospice, they're no longer trying to cure whatever the illness is. And the only goal at that point is to uh, to live as comfortably as possible and have all the support services available that the hospice company can uh, can provide that particular individual. So now if someone's in the community and they, they're, you know, men, so first of all, from a community-based setting, uh, let me let me back up here in a moment. Do typical hospice companies that, let's say, I've worked with and other administrators I've worked with, um, do they also provide community-based services or, do they, or are there hospice companies that are specific that they just work with nursing homes in similar settings? Um, I don't know if there's any that are just specific. I know there are some that have inpatient units, for example, and maybe they only handle their inpatient units, but I believe most hospices are providing care at any level. So we can go to someone's house if that's where they are. We can go to um, an assisted living. We can go mm-hmm. to a nursing home. We can go to the hospital. So hospice isn't um, just one place. Hospice is a service that can go to wherever the person is. Okay. So just, so if somebody wanted hospice services, so A, they would have to be aware of that there is something called hospice service. They'd have to be aware of pretty much how it works. They would have to have listened to our conversation or know the information that we're discussing and then choose a hospice company as opposed to a nursing home where we know that if we need free lunch, all you got to do is allow the hospice local hospice company to come in. And right. We, and we'd we like to be more than free lunch. So that's what, if uh, the nursing facility is utilizing their hospice companies or any vendor in you know, particular, if they're utilizing them correctly, um, they should be getting an education out of it. They shouldn't just be getting the, the food. They should be getting some value. So the, uh, the vendor hospice, home care, whatever, they should be coming in and talking to them and explaining the benefits, explaining how the patient, how the resident can get the most out of it. Okay. I mean, it's true, except that the previous hospice company thought they did the exact same thing the week before. Yeah. And so did, and so will next week's hospice company or home care company or whatever other type of company. But uh, that's, just, that's a marketing conversation, which is 100% true, uh, that they should be giving and the facility should be receiving. But let's move the conversation now to a nursing home setting. Sure. So, and in, in actually, you know what, even before that, let's focus on the financial part. Who pays hospice? So hospice is uh, paid for by Medicare, typically. Um, some insurances also have hospice benefits as well as Medicaid. But I'd say the majority of the patients that we deal with are Medicare. Um, even if they have a Medicare replacement plan, which a lot of people in this area, in particular in Philadelphia, do, um, it still reverts back to their Medicare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Medicare pays 100% as long as it's those days that you mentioned before? Yeah, so Medicare um, has two 90-day benefit periods and then unlimited 60-day periods. And what that means is just when someone's evaluated for hospice, someone starts hospice, in 90 days they still need to be appropriate for hospice, 90 days they still need to be appropriate, and then after that it's every 60 days 
Medicare wants to make sure that the person still has a, uh, a need for hospice. Okay. Someone goes on to hospice before we jump to nursing homes yeah. and they decide to have a change of, of heart or the doctor calls them back and say, Hey, we have something new that we want to try. I yep. know you guys are on hospice. Um, are they on the death train or can they jump off? <laughs> no, um, there is no death train. They can jump off at any time. Um, you can reverse revoke. So there's a revocation, uh, paperwork. You can just revoke from hospice whenever, uh, you'd want to. Uh-huh. So if someone fine, okay. So that's probably comforting for people to hear that. Yep. Yes, this is, this is what the situation is right now. Yes. Uh, we understand that right now, you know, uh, th this is the path that makes sense for us. But right. should something change? Because, you know, people don't like to make decisions and commitments, right? There's a reason yeah. why you have a 30-day uh, return policy, right? There's right. a reason why, you know, all these types of things. Because if it could be undone, then we're more likely to do it, even though more often than not, we will not undo it. So right. if someone signs on to hospice today and in two months from now, the doctor has some ideas of things that could be done, they can revoke it. Okay, so that is something okay. that... Yep. And people sometimes even... Um what they call graduate from hospice. So if you had someone who um, was having significant weight loss, who's declining, and then hospice comes in, um, just maybe the aides there encouraging the person to eat, they start gaining weight, they're doing a little bit better, they might not be appropriate for hospice anymore, and they could come off. So, that's, so that's is graduation really mean, is that a nice way of saying they lose their benefits? They do lose that benefit, but they, uh, they're now doing better. So they're no longer hospice appropriate. Medicare doesn't want to you know, be paying for something that's no longer appropriate. So the person's thriving, they're doing a little bit better. If they start to decline again, as lots of times people do, then they might be appropriate again in the future. So they have to be constantly declining to stay on? Like, what, what, how, does, how is that measured? So when the nurses go out and they're doing their visits, they're looking for like quantitative data like, um, like weight loss or um, declining ADLs, those types of things. And um, they're meeting with physicians at their interdisciplinary team meetings that we have. Mm -hmm. So they're always making sure that the person is appropriate for hospice. Got it. Got it. Okay. So now let's move to the nursing home world. So in the nursing home world is always a, so put it this way, there's hospice. So then there's hospice. Let's say it the way it is. There are good hospice companies. There are okay hospice companies and there are bad hospice companies, at least right. my experience. And, and it may not be the companies. It may be the particular providers uh, within the company. It may be a particular nurse or a particular unit, a particular region, whatever it is. But from the user experience side of things, in other words, the nursing home operator perspective, sometimes you work with a hospice company. It's, oh, my goodness, we're partners in care and it feels amazing. And we're, everyone knows we're doing the right thing for the, for the patient, for the resident, for the family members. And sometimes, like there's one horrific case that I can recall distinctly. Uh, where I was at the nurse's station watching a resident uh, like move around and wreath around in pain, um, very, very agitated, using a regular bed like we have for everybody else. Yeah. And upon asking the nurse, like, oh, yeah, that person's on hospice. Like, did they, you know, assess the, the resident for any particular, I don't know, equipment or something? And why is there no staff that ever comes by? Like, yeah, they said they're going to get a bed or something and it never came. And, you know, they showed up one time and they never came back again. Right. Uh, you know, this person unfortunately did pass, you know, within a short amount of time in not the most dignified or um, way possible. It's not just dignified. It was a, it was it was a it was a horrific experience. 
and of course the nursing home staff. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a fight here a little bit um, because I really just want to hear your side of it. Yeah. But I, I've seen many times where our staff. Now, it's not us against you, but uh, just for the yeah. purposes of framing the conversation, where they provide fantastic end-of-life care, especially for a long-term resident who's been with them for 5, 6, 10, sometimes 20 years, and they know them well, and they know everything about them. They know what their likes, their dislikes, their family background, their professional background, and sometimes the end-of-life care without any particular end-of-life you know, uh, uh, training, we just make it work. And we provide for them whatever we can without officially enrolling in hospice. We make sure, again, the facilities, uh, we've mentioned this several times on this podcast, the nursing homes operate on extremely challenging uh, circumstances with very, very limited resources. However, even within that, if there's a will, there's a way. You know, if it was a family member, you figure out, you move someone to this bed and, and, you know, you ask them to switch rooms or something to make the person as comfortable as possible. And then I've seen cases like the case I mentioned, you know, before where the hospice companies are not living up to what they're supposed to be doing. On the flip side, I have seen great hospice companies that were sending, you know, an aid, which even as an administrator, I didn't even realize it wasn't one of our aides until it came time for payroll because this person was there every day or multiple times a week, you know, just like the regular staff and interacted with the team, just like one of the team. And, mm-hmm. and it was fantastic. So, so the, hence there is some re- reluctance uh, for, for nursing homes to kind of hand over the reins to the hospice company. But then there's also a financial consideration. So let's start with the financial consideration, then we'll go sure. back to the first thing. Okay. So once a nursing home allows, obviously it's the resident's choice, but the nursing home facilitates the connection between the hospice company and the resident or the family member, the caregiver, whoever it is. Once, once that um, resident signs on to hospice for Medicare, so then the, nur- the nursing home can no longer bill Medicare, right? That would be double dipping. It wouldn't work. Right. Um, so what about, so basically if we have someone who comes in, this happens, right? They could be end of life. Again, PDPM might be changing this a little bit. Uh, it is changing this a little bit, but someone comes in, has an acute uh, stay, comes to the nursing home under the Medicare benefit, which by default, usually they're going to end up with some sort of rehab need. Um, mm-hmm. The nursing home is going to try and skill them for something, nursing or rehab. And now the hospice conversation comes up, usually by the social worker or somebody, the do-gooder in the nursing home, which is everybody, yeah. but the but the one who's not in actually providing the care not financially minded right 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 the one of the one who's that's pretty much why social workers become social workers so they're going to say you know what maybe we should be calling hospice and the ministry is like whoa whoa not so fast person just came maybe next week maybe in three weeks so that's a major consideration especially because nursing homes could barely survive as it is you know the medicare um, revenue is making up for the Medicaid loss in many states, for sure in Massachusetts, and I know in other states as well. So, so how do we deal with that? So, if you're coming in and you want to say send us all your patients, basically, basically from a nursing home perspective, is we're gonna take care of their room and board. In other words, we're providing them a place to stay. We're gonna give them their food. We're really providing. We're still gonna continue providing them the same nursing care. We're not gonna tell the nurses and aides not to provide care we can't and we wouldn't and we would never want that but now instead of the revenue coming to us it's going to hospice so okay. well, go ahead all right so 
that's sort of a two-part question but the uh yes the latter part when you're talking about skilled care um when someone does come from a hospital to a nursing home if they're on therapy they obviously can't be on hospice at the same time because they're getting paid the same way through medicare um and i think most facilities are trying to do what's best for the resident so sure. if someone's, if someone's on therapy and it's not benefiting benefiting them they would typically cut them and refer them to hospice there is that financial incentive which pdpm might be changing it's still too early to really tell mm-hmm. um so you know we'll find that out but um i'd like to think that most facilities are trying to keep the best interest of their patient in mind if they're on therapy it's not working the person's not making any gains they would benefit from hospice then they would refer them over um, hospice isn't going to come in and try to steal people off of skilled care. I mean, that's something that we're mindful of when we go out, at least um, the facilities that I've been working with, we talk to the facility, we say, you know, is the person skilled? We can't evaluate even if they're skilled because we can't bill Medicare. So, no, just uh, so you know, that does happen. And that has happened to yeah. me where the, the hospice liaison comes in and the next morning, by morning, oh yeah, this person is on hospice. Like, whoa, who said that? Right. Even from a clinical perspective, we yeah. didn't have that conversation yet. But they went over to the resident, the resident signed with the paperwork and boom, it's done. So that's how it happen accidentally too. Sometimes if the person doesn't ask the right questions, doesn't find out that the person that the resident is skilled. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it is possible. We try to make sure that doesn't happen by talking with the facility, having good communication with them. And like you had said, it's ultimately up to the resident and to the family um, what they think is best for them, whether or not they think therapy is best at that time or hospice. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you can't really have both right right um okay but uh, you know obviously uh, you know they have to be mindful of right. you know of that balance and it's true that you know most people go into the nursing home or hospice or any type of healthcare field because they genuinely care about the people that they're providing the care for uh there's just like the color the background that you're in front of and maybe me too is gray there's a very very broad gray area where Maybe they're still making gains in mm-hmm. therapy, but we know that this person who's at whatever stage and compromised with whatever it is and has whatever overarching illness is, is there, um, it doesn't make sense, you know, to keep on having this person lift those weights for what, for what purpose? Now, it's not clear. They are making gains. If you look on paper, if you're going to review the documents, there's no fraud. They are making right. gains and, and a skilled therapy might be appropriate. But at the same time, if you, if you zoom out from a social work perspective, you're going to see that the overall in best interest of the patient, again, this is, this is a little bit subjective, and mm-hmm. both parties are not subjective 100%. Um, right. so, so, so then you always, have, you always have that challenge and that reluctance uh, to share and, and um, you know, to send somebody to hospice. So how would you best advise a facility to deal with this? It's a good question. So um, my best way to advise a facility is to look at the patient, try to make an objective decision, see if they feel like they're they're making gains in, in therapy, talk to the family, see what the family wants to do, try to keep everyone informed and let them know what's going on. When we meet with the family, um, I think it's important to explain what hospice isn't as much as it is to explain what hospice is. So mm-hmm. when I talk to them, I let them know that we don't cover room and board. So if they were to start hospice while they're being skilled, they would have to pay that part of the bill, you know, whether it's through Medicaid or through private pay. So that's something sometimes family members, they want to just keep them on Medicare being skilled because that's, you know, a huge expense. So I think 
if families are informed, if the residents informed, if the facilities informed, they can make a, a better decision. Right, and that can become a financial challenge to the facility as well because yeah. the resident and the family members came in thinking that Medicare covers completely, like, oh, you want hospice, and, and they're explained the benefit and they love the benefit. Like, right. yeah, sure. And then all of a sudden, they, I mean, I've done, I've gotten those conversations from the business office manager perspective. Like, why am I getting billed, you know, whatever it is, 100 and whatever a day um, for staying in this facility if I was, I have Medicare. Like, yeah, but you chose your hospice benefit and you're not eligible for Medicaid or you never went through the process to see if you're eligible for Medicaid. So, um, yeah, so, so that unfortunately doesn't work. So they have to definitely be aware of that. And sometimes it makes sense. And some, you know, sometimes that financial decision, again, if they don't qualify from, for skilled care, it doesn't matter how much it's going to cost, uh, they're not, they can't stay. But if, if they're in that gray area, you're right. That's not just, a, that's a good point. It's not just the family, it's not just the residents. What am I saying? It's not just the nursing homes. It's the family members uh, who are going to have to foot the bill that are going to, that may also have this um, reluctance. And that's a financial uh, consideration now um let's let's just talk what do you think is like the the biggest i guess misnomer like sure. from from the nursing home standpoint like okay. I, I know we've seen good hospices and bad hospices or even even better what is okay. what could a nursing home do to ensure that whatever hospice company they choose and you're right there are tons of them once they're working with a hospice company how do they make it the most effective that the resident is actually receiving the care that they deserve? Sure. So I think communication is huge because every facility is different. So um, sometimes a facility might prefer that hospice come in and we do all the ADL care. Other times um, facilities go, we want to take care of all the ADLs. We want you guys as doing all the extra. So, you know, sitting with the resident, taking them outside, reading them books, handholding, playing music, things like that. So you really need to find out what the facility wants. Um, that helps us build our plan of care so we can tell our aides, we can tell our nurses what, you know, what's expected of them because they might walk into one facility and the, and the aides have to do all the, the morning care, the AM care, and then they go down the street to the next facility and, and they're not. They're not doing that. That's not what the facility wants. So I think communication is a huge thing. Okay. Okay, now, as far as identifying the right partners to work with, you know, we want to figure out which hospitals come to, to work for. And we're always pitched, you know, this company, that company. Um, what, what, what should a nursing home company uh, look for besides for the name of your company? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. What are like signs and symptoms of a healthy uh, hospice company and specifically that will work for in this in a nursing home setting so someone that will be communicative communicative and right. and um, actually provide the services they say they're going to provide yep so you'd want ones that are communicating uh you want ones that the aides are showing up that they're not just there if they're there not just playing on their phones they're actually helping the uh the resident um integrating with the staff like you had said becoming part of the staff so much so that you think they might work there mm-hmm you want the nurses that are able to communicate with the other nurses because we um, we're not able to change anything. So our nurses go in, they make recommendations. We can't just change the medications or anything like that. So you want to have a nurse who's able to communicate. You want people who are um, available, who are receptive. So if you put a call into a hospice, you want to have someone who's coming out, who's meeting with the families, who's explaining things. Um, you don't want to just place a referral and crickets, you know, so you want 
someone who's responsive. Mm-hmm. Um, you want that communication. You just want everyone to show up and to do their job. And it's it. a two-way relationship. Do the nursing homes actually have a choice of to what extent? Like, If, let's say, the nursing home or the, the resident family say that we want the hospice company to provide the, the highest level of care that they can. We want to, we want to milk it dry. So yeah. what, what can they, what can they expect? And is, is does the hospital company, uh, is that something that they're obligated to do once they're receiving that Medicare portion um, from this, you know, from the payers, from the residents um, insurance? So what do you mean as hospice obligated to? Let's say you have a patient okay. who is, I'm dying. I want everything. I want tons of aids, nurses, equipment, uh, just on and on and on and on. So you because you said that sometimes when you work with facilities, you know, the nursing home is, provides, you know, the, the basic care, the ADLs, uh, the nursing care. And then the hospice company comes in for the aromatherapy and the music and the reading and handholding and all that stuff. And then yeah. sometimes uh, the hospice company is actually providing the care. Right. Now, is that something that can be requested, demanded? Is that something that hospital companies are responsible to do um, once they, you know, dip into the Medicare benefit? So hospice is a, a secondary caregiver. So when someone's at a facility, the facility is still the primary caregiver. Same as if a person's at home. Uh, we're backtrack a little bit, but if someone's at home, the family's still the primary caregiver. So hospice is responsible for the supportive services. So coming out to the facility, um, ultimately the ADL care is going to be going back onto the facility if that stuff's not getting done the state's not going to come out and look at the hospice they're going to be looking at the facility so that's the reason that we want to work out and see who's going to be doing what and having that that plan of care set up um families have asked us listen we don't want you guys doing the adl we want the facility to do it that's their job we want you guys to be providing all the extra you know mm-hmm. all the stuff that you know that maybe their mom or dad wouldn't be getting if they weren't on hospice right so they want the perks um comes to equipment we've had facilities ask for specialty equipments um you know special cushions or chairs and things like that and if it's appropriate if the nurses agree then we're going to be paying for it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so within reason but that's a that's a, an excellent point that you bring and that is that your secondary hospice is a secondary caregiver so that doesn't mean that hospice comes which is interesting because medicare ha huh, this is let's try to figure this out yeah. Medicare was paying for 100% of the, of the patient's stay while they were under their skilled benefit, which included right. room and board. Their primary caregiver was the physician, was the facility. So that means they're providing nursing care, ADL care, and all the other services that the nursing home provides while they were, and the Medicare, uh, and the reason why they were covering is because there was a skilled need. Now the right. skilled need ends, they're declining, they're not making significant gains. So now they get referred to hospice. For some reason, then Medicare cuts the payment or and no longer covers room and board and only now is paying for hospice. Does Medicare expect them to be living on the street and on hospice? Why, when they're under their skilled benefit, does Medicare cover the room and board and when they're on the hospice, they don't? That's a good question because they are both uh, a short, short-term service, so to speak. I guess, you know, hospice isn't, forever. Sometimes people can be on it for a long time. Um, that's a great question. I'm not sure why Medicare decides that when someone has a skilled need that they pay for room and board. And when someone's on just a general, you know, hospice level of care, residential level of care, they don't pay for room and board. 
Okay, yeah. I mean, this is not, I'm not calling you on as a Medicare specialist. I'm yeah. just trying to figure the, wrap my head around this because that's there, why there's that myth. There are, there are levels of different levels of care of hospice, though. So if someone were on an inpatient level of care because they didn't have managed symptoms, you know, they had unmanageable symptoms, so they had pain that wasn't manageable, um, something like that, that Medicare pays for room and board while they pay hospice a higher rate and hospice pays the facility room and board. But that's not really a typical hospice patient. Okay, so, so let's go down that road because I do know that there are times when hospice is reimbursing the facility for room and board and we're not charging the residents. So you're saying that that's, that's the exception, not the rule. Right, correct. So in a typical case where someone's following you know, the path that we've been describing, they're no longer making gains and they're coming off of Medicare. Um, so then Medicare will not be covering... It's a different ben- Medicare benefit. I'm just trying to think because a lot. Of, it's more common, I think. You tell me if I'm wrong. That someone won't be coming from the rehab gym to hospice. Rather, they came for short-term therapy. They their skilled benefit exhausted a long time ago, and now they're a long-term resident, and they start declining to the point where the facility makes the referral to hospice. So now Medicare has not been paying for room and board for a long time already. That's that's the more um, that's the scenario we see more often. So someone's been a long-term resident, they've been there, they haven't been on therapy for a long time. Maybe they get it periodically if they go to the hospital, have a qualifying stay. But typically it's a patient who's been a long-term resident, they've had a decline and they just need the extra care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. John, you've been a fabulous guest uh, for the Nursing Home Podcast. Before we let you go, uh, first of all, thank you so much for your time today and thank you for sharing this live with our listeners and viewers on LinkedIn and on Facebook. And we'll definitely put this on the nursing home podcast within the coming days. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Oh, well, I appreciate you sharing some of this and um, it's always my pleasure to be the dummy in the room to ask all of these questions so that, you know, I, hopefully I'm asking the questions that our listeners are interested in so that they can understand a little bit better of how the hospice benefit really works. Are there any further myths that you'd like to debunk or any further uh, common uh, common misnomers, I guess, that what people think about hospice that's really not true um, that sure. you'd like to share before we let you go? Sure. I've heard a, a couple that you know sort of contradict each other. I've heard one that hospice comes in and they stop all medications, and that's why the person dies. And I've actually heard that um, more often now for whatever reason. So hospice does not stop all the medications. We, we The family member... Uh, is still in charge, the resident's still in charge of what their meds are. So hospice makes recommendations. They look at medications, see if there's something that might not be appropriate anymore. And they'll make recommendations to the physician and they uh, doc goes from there. Um, also heard ones where hospice provides too much medication. So we zonk, you know, the person. Oh, we yeah. Just dope them up with pain meds and they, they you know. Knock them out. Are no longer, no longer there and they're just, you know, just in a med-induced coma. Um, that's also not the case. You know, they want to address the person's pain. They, uh, they're not going to try to over-medicate. Uh, again, they're putting in recommendations and the doctors are proving that. So those are, those are two ones that I hear pretty frequently too. So now just, uh, let me play devil's advocate cause this is so much yeah. fun. Um, it, you're saying that they don't stop the medications, but uh, the truth is like we discussed earlier, the medications that are fighting the illness will be stopped. Is that not correct? Yeah. So that really, uh, it depends. So someone's on you know chemotherapies or something right they uh, they would stop that 
but they wouldn't necessarily be stopping all their other meds. So they might be continuing on high blood pressure medicines. They might be um, continuing to have um, antidepressants or uh, any other medications that they would have had anyway. They're just no longer actively treating the disease, if that makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. So someone has a blood pressure challenge, um, those or whatever it is, but you know, some uh, maintenance medications or maybe all maintenance medications mm -hmm. Uh, may be continued. It's it's the specific medications that are there to fight the primary illness, right. but that is what's going to be, uh, that's what's going to be stopped. That, right. that kind of makes sense. Now, I've I've heard another one, which is similar to the second one, but not just that you dope up the patient so that they're kind of in this coma, but you actually kill the patient by giving them right. all the stuff. Yeah, the morphine, you know, would uh, would just, you know, end it for the patient, and no, that's that's not the case. I hope. Right. <laughs> we hope that that's never the case. Yeah, there's actually uh, studies that show that people live longer on hospice because they're getting all the extra support, which makes sense. You know, so they're they're getting all the extra care. The nurses' aides coming out. They're having their medication maybe managed a little bit better um, than they would if they were on their own, and they're getting extra equipment and things like that that keep them comfortable. So I think a takeaway message from this entire conversation is nursing home operators, uh, people, professionals in the industry, learn, uh, listen to this conversation we just had, and you know, understand and study exactly what the hospice benefit is and how it can be beneficial to your residents, provided that you give your hospice partners sufficient heads up and you don't do it as the patient is on their last breaths. And But be careful who you work with. Not, every, not all hospices are created equal. Not all... Providers within one hospice company are, are created equal. You want to work with someone they, or a company that you're actually going to get the benefits that we're describing here. But if you do, and you can make that a referral and work closely with another company, and then the overall outcome for the, for the patients can, be, can really be greatly increased in a, in a very, very positive way. Right. And I think overall, and this probably goes with any relationship, um, open up your lines of communication, let them know what's expected of them. And um, and we do the same for the facility so then we can um, have a good relationship. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, John, for coming on the Nursing Home Podcast. Uh, we, we really appreciate it. We will put the links to your company. And just tell us before you go... Um, so first of all, your company is All-American Hospice, and which region are you based in? We're actually in uh, Lower Bucks County, but we cover Philadelphia, Bucks, and Montgomery Counties. So people like myself have no idea what you just said. What, what's, yeah. You're in the United States of America. What's we're, the... we're in Pennsylvania. Um, okay. We cover Bucks County, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia County, Pennsylvania, and Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, uh, primarily. Got it. Got it. Okay. And the last final, final thing, tell us about your LinkedIn group. Okay, so I recently started a LinkedIn group. Um, the goal is to connect different facilities together, different healthcare professionals, so they have a place where it's just regional. They can show off what they're doing in the community, um, hopefully develop better relationships and um, referring partners. So it's uh, senior healthcare professionals of Philadelphia, Philly, Bucks, and Monco. Try to keep it real, you know, the title as succinct as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, amazing. So you'll send me that information and, you know, I can share that link as well. I will. Yeah, and if you're in the area, you know, sign on, share some events that are going on and show off your facility. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it.
Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.